Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. This is podcast number 204, and I'm going to keep this short today because today's episode is live from the San Diego Pain Summit. I was lucky enough to co-host with Paul Lagerman, who is the host of The Naked Physio Natters, and it was a great podcast. It was super long. We split it up into two parts, part one this week, part two next week. But before I get to that, I just wanted to run over to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board and tell you all about a great GoFundMe page that was started by Jimmy McKay. He is the host of the PT Pintcast, and he just was down in Costa Rica, part of school, and he met a young boy who is in need of a wheelchair, and this patient and the trip just really touched his life. And as he says, mobility is a basic human right. Every one of us deserves to move. That is from Dr. Cole Galloway. And so Jimmy is trying to raise funds for a power wheelchair that would change this boy's life. So you can go to gofundme.com slash G-C-S-Y-N-W-2-C. That's G-C-S-Y-N as in Natters, W, the number two, and the letter C. So go support uh, Jimmy's efforts to get this young boy a wheelchair, and hopefully he will reach his goal and this uh, kid will have mobility for life. So wouldn't that be great? All right. So thanks for tuning in, and thank you to audible.com for sponsoring the podcast. If you want a free month and a free download, go to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart, pick that up. And without further ado, let's get to the San Diego pain summit live podcast. Hey everyone. This is your host, Karen Litzy. I'm the host of healthy, wealthy, and smart. And I am joined today by Paul, the naked physio. Hello, Karen. How are you? I am doing great. And we are uh, sitting here in a beautiful, sunny San Diego. It is beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous. Yeah. And we are here because of the San Diego Pain Summit. That's right, yeah. We've, what, spent sort of four or five days just hanging out in San Diego and being around lots and lots of very, very interesting people who have delivered thought-provoking and engaging talks over the last sort of four or five days. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. And it talks from the stage and talks behind the scenes. There's... It's a nice, interesting group of people because it's not just physical therapists or physios. There's yeah. massage therapists, there's doctors, I think there's psychologists, there's yeah. chiropractors, physical therapists, occupational therapists. We don't forget those. Oh, can't forget, will the, be can't forget the single occupational therapist yes. that is here. Yeah. Okay, so there's a special vet shout out to Bronnie Thompson. Exactly. Um, but uh, so on the what was it on the night of the 25th? It was Wednesday, wasn't Wednesday it? Night. Wednesday night. Wednesday mm-hmm. night. So we got together with a couple of um, uh, the speakers, um, and who was it? It was it was um, Michael Shacklock. It was Bronnie Thompson, mm-hmm. Greg Lemon. Um, oh, Lehman, sorry, apologies. <laughs> He's not a lemon, although, you know, um, some people may think otherwise. Who knows? And then we had... Um, Sandy Hilton. Sandy Hilton, that's right. And, and we also had... Raven Sara Trevilian. Yeah. So great, diverse, even a great diverse group of people representing a lot of different professions. Yep. And Paul and I uh, asked them some pretty poignant questions that we got from the people at the summit ahead of time. That's right, yeah. And the following uh, podcast is this really great panel discussion where 
I think there was a lot of interaction within the panel, which I mm. really loved. Yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so um, we hope you, you know, you have a, you get something out of it. Have a listen to the podcast, um, and uh, we'll catch up with you again at the end. Yeah, we will catch up with you again at the end. So enjoy uh, some really thought-provoking discussion. And what what I found even before before we go is what, what was most interesting is that these came from a lot of different backgrounds. The people on the panel, a lot of different backgrounds, mm. yet very similar answers on yeah. a lot of the questions so um, I think that says a lot about how we should be treating our patients with chronic pain and I guess we should mention the San Diego Pain Summit was started well, we should, by Rajam yeah. Roos yeah, we should, um, yeah. the f- last year was the first year this is obviously the second and it's all about taking pain science and applying it to clinical practice yeah so yes we look at some research yes the speakers are really great and very experienced but it's all about bringing it back to how how can we apply this to our patients and that's exactly what this podcast yeah, was that's right that's right yeah, yeah. Cool. okay so everyone please enjoy this uh, podcast and we will catch you at the end okay hey everyone so we are coming to you live from the San Diego pain summit in San Diego California and I am Karen Litzy. I am one of your co-hosts I am joined by Paul Lagerman who will also be a co-host for tonight's podcast so Paul welcome to America Oh, thanks, Karen. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm the host of the podcast Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, and Paul had brought this up to me, and we brought it up to Rajam, who is our wonderful leader, and she is here somewhere, but I don't know where she is. Um, but we may have her come up at the end and say a little something if she feels like it. Um, so, Paul, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into the panel, and then we'll get going. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Paul Lagerman. I'm <coughs> AKA the Naked Physio. Some of you that may or may not know me, um, from New Zealand, originally from Scotland, um, and uh, yeah, like I say, I, I kind of wanted to get this going because I think it's really important that we're all working together. We've got a, 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 a number of disciplines here in front of us today, and I think it's really helpful that that all of us all come together and, and discuss exactly what we all understand about pain. So um, without further ado, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll hand over to, uh, to our panel. If I uh, start with my, this lovely lady to my right here, would you mind introducing yourself for the, for the audience? Sure. I'm Raven Trevelyan. I'm a massage therapist based in Seattle, Washington. And most of the people that I work with belong to populations of refugees, populations of veterans. So I work a lot with people who live with PTSD, chronic pain, some people with TBI, issues like that. Great. Sandy? Uh, Sandy Hilton. I am in Chicago at Entropy Physiotherapy and physical therapist, my physiotherapist for the rest of the world. My um, area of specialty, I suppose, is in pelvic pain populations and making that not be a problem anymore. Great. And wait, before, sorry, Greg, before I go on, (laughs) I just want, I just thought of something. Can you say what your Twitter hand, can you say what your Twitter handles are before we go on? And I thought we were going to go like alternate, but. (laughs) So go ahead, Raven, what's your Twitter handle? Raven Trevelyan. Raven Trevelyan, Sandy? Sandy Hilton PT. Greg, I think I'm Big, big Dog 37. <laughs> 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 I think big is relative. 
Uh, I think it's Greg Lehman. <laughs> Tell us about Back yourself. to me? Oh, yeah, thank you. Tell us about yourself. Uh, oh, yeah, it's my show. Okay, everyone behind me. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a physiotherapist and a chiropractor, and, uh, and uh, I was a researching biomechanist for a decade, too, and I'm in Toronto. Great. And I treat oh, patients who all have pelvises, so I'm a specialist Yay. in pelvises. Too. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry for the interruptions. Who doesn't have a pelvis? We're all pelvis specialists. Then. Well done. <laughs> I'm smiling every day. I'm me. I'm Bronnie Thompson, um, and my Twitter handle is a DMS free. And I'm not a physiotherapist. I don't touch people. That's just icky. I talk to people. <laughs> just twelve cats. <laughs> one cat and one dog. I have. He has twelve cats. Four cats. Yeah. Um, and my, I'm a senior lecturer in pain and pain management at University of Otago in Christchurch, New Zealand. I'm Michael Shacklock. I'm a physiotherapist of uh, 35 years now, clinician, and just starting an academic career. So. My emphasis is now on neurodynamics uh, and uh, research and education from New Zealand. Yay! Yes! Dunedin! Dunedin! Air high fives all around New Zealand. <laughs> there we are. Grandparents yeah. in Christchurch. <laughs> okay, so. Um, so you're all related. No? Did I touch on a neurodynamic or a neurodynamic? I did not know this is going to stand up and improv. <laughs> so, before, like I said before we started, we kind of sent out a, a survey to everyone just to try and see where everyone was at and what they were, what information they really wanted to know. So, we got a couple of questions. Um, and we sent them out ahead of time. So some people got them, some people didn't. So this should be pretty interesting. Uh, so the first question that I think is a great question, and it's a big part of what the San Diego Pain Summit is about. And that is, so what we'll do is sort of pose this question to each of you. We'll kind of get your answers. We can discuss a little bit. If you want to disagree with each other, feel free. We so Yeah. No, we will agree. So the first question is, how do you, quote-unquote, explain pain to your clients without leading them to believe the pain is all in their head? So, Raven, we'll sort of start with you and kind of go down the line. Um, I'm not above saying, you know, I know it's very real. I'm, I don't feel the need to get into a big discussion about neuroanatomy and neurophysiology because I think that the client has the opportunity in my space to create their own meaning. And even if I have more education in neuroanatomy than the patient brings to it, then it's not my job to lecture them on it. I see my job more as being supportive and encouraging, staying back as far as I can. Maybe scaffolding is the wording I'm looking for here. I give support when I feel that I can be supportive and bring something to it. and add to the experience in which they're creating a meaning about their pain. And if they say something that's factually wrong, I don't feel the need to correct it like I do, for example, if I were talking to somebody in my discipline about professionalization, which is the topic tomorrow, so it's on my mind right now. So I guess basically I carve out a lot of space. It's a safe space for them. I tell them what I can 
if it's encouraging, if it's not, unless it's really, really bad or dangerous, I don't really correct them. And I let them know that, yes, I hear what you're saying. I believe your pain's real. You don't have to convince me of that. Whatever your experience before me has, that's, that's in the past, but you don't have to convince me your pain's real because I'm convinced of it. So we're done, and we can move to question number two. <laughs> Next question. So, I, 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 yeah. so, so validation's a really, really important part of, of, your, of your communication with people then. Yes, yes, yeah. I believe that that's, that's a good way to phrase it. I hadn't thought of it in the term, but yes, validation. Mm. Okay. Sandy. Yes. What could you... What you said. Um, the, I think that the, clinically, with the people that I see, what I try and do is help them understand that I believe that what they're telling me is true. And I'm not going to question it. If they say I hurt here, then okay, they hurt there. Um, I'm also, it's, this is more really what I don't do than what I do, in, and that is that I don't tell them that they're wrong, and I don't give them reasons for why they hurt. I just listen um, to start, and then I get them moving. So um, it, it's not so much that I'm trying to tell them where their pain is. It's just that I'm acknowledging that their pain is. Which is a huge part as well, isn't it? That, again, that validation and acknowledgement that really making sure that there's that, that intent in terms of, of um, your, the, your listening skills and what you're acknowledging and what they say. Right. It's real because they feel it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Greg? So the question again was? So the question again was, how do you, quote unquote, explain pain to your clients without making them think that it's all in their head? Yeah. So sometimes I do that because I mess up. Like for sure, we always uh, fail. That that happens all the time, and it's it's just recovery then. And then, often I I I don't I don't go there. I don't I don't need to for a lot of the cases I see, and it's it's not the right thing. Like if you think how long it takes uh, professions to change, which is decades, I don't think we need to put the pressure on ourselves to change our patient in an hour about all the all the misconceptions that that they have. but when I do broach the topic, it's it's usually they've um, they've given me an end to it, or I uh, broach it through another route that's relevant to them. So if I work with athletes a lot, I will talk about fatigue, um, where we know that fatigue is uh, is psychobiology as well. So we go into something that they can understand. You know, so it's an it's another route to talking about pain as being involved with the brain just like fatigue is and all, all of these examples so it has to be something that's relevant to them that's how I sort of uh, get into it and then they buy into it because they've they started the topic <laughs> sure so you're it, you're it sounds like you're saying you kind of meet them where they're at and then yeah. sort of take that conversation to where it's going to go within the parameters of what they understand yeah if it's necessary we don't have to <clears throat> change all the cognitions of what people mm-hmm. think all the time or at least mm-hmm. with within the hour, it, you're going to see people sometimes more than three times, and, sure. that, and that's okay. Sure. Um, and that is okay. We have to stop letting gurus tell us that everyone gets better in one to three bullshit <coughs> visits, because that's what that is, so I can sure. see them longer than that. Sure. <coughs> Ronnie? Um, I do talk about pain, but I, I ask people what their theory is first. Because some of them might have been told already that 
they've got this pain and they know all about central sensitisation and they've had explained pain. But that's less relevant to what does it mean to you in your life? And so I'm much more interested in exploring, so what does it mean? What does that mean for you as a person and the lifestyle that you have? Let's make sense of this for you and where you're at. Um, and I love that idea of scaffolding. I love that. It's a way of structuring things. So some people don't need that. Others do. Um, and I'm quite inclined to use metaphor. So I might talk about the um, burglar alarm that keeps going off and the fact you have to go turn it off and you, you kind of ignore it. But one day it might actually be real. And other times you just think, oh, it's just that burglar alarm. And can you step away from your pain in a way that it's just that burglar alarm going off? So it um, depends on the person and their um, context. Sometimes it'll be the CEO of the organisation who has to come and check out that bit that's got, got, you know, hasn't been working properly. So it's coming down to check what's happening in that knee or that hip, and you know, so that we just get some metaphors and then we say, so what would help a CEO settle that down? So it's just working with where the person's at and very much about the meaning. Yeah. yeah. Um, did I say anything that you loved or was it just a great <laughs> I didn't say anything about Sandy's either. Because <laughs> <laughs> we felt but, a little left yeah. out. <laughs> that must be real painful. Yeah. <laughs> it's on our heads. I was leaving some space for Michael. <laughs> That's why we put you in the middle, Craig. <laughs> he can okay, defend himself get up more than here. adequately I'm sure. <laughs> yeah for, for me um, finish that. When, when somebody says to me what do you do with pain my first reaction was shit I don't know <laughs> but what I do is connect with the patient and I might at some point if I'm not really following what they're talking about say okay for you what is your pain and, and that, from a clinical reasoning perspective, it's a completely open question. And, and hopefully you've got the trust of the patient, and they'll then say, well, it's freaking painful when I bend over. And, and I'm going to take this from a, a bit more physical perspective. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, physical therapy deals with physical problems, don't we? So I might say, okay, when you bend over and you feel back pain, tell me more about that. And I might say, I'm just bloody scared. And now we're going to head to the kinesiophobia type of stuff. I'm scared because I've heard and read that discs can get damaged when you bend over. They go out. Yeah, they would. They yeah. go shopping, actually. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's okay. Now, what's really important, I feel, in, in the physical health sciences, is that if a psychologist says to a patient, don't worry, your back won't break, discs are okay when you bend forward, actually that doesn't have complete credibility because the psychologist can't test the spine. Well, they probably could if they trained, but that's not their main job. It's like a physio doing psychoanalysis. We don't do that. Now, not generally, anyway. Now, if someone says, I feel pain when I bend over, and they've got some erroneous beliefs about the problem, what the PT can do is say, let's test it. Let's look at your back. Let's have, let's have a feel, push, crack, or whatever and let's look at your muscle strength, let's palpate multifidus. Hey, your multifidus is actually doing really well. It's protecting your back nicely. And actually, I felt your back, it's not unstable. And what the biology research shows is that if you actually move it, it stimulates healing. 
So what we're doing is a cognitive technique from a physical perspective. And hopefully, well, you're obviously assessing your relationship with the patient or client as, you, as this continues. But it's a really good opportunity to use a physical mechanism and explanation for their metaphor for pain, and then you can start introducing new ideas from that point. So you've done all those things. You've met them where they are, you've validated them, you listen carefully to them, and then you can offer them some change. One of the things that I regularly say to them, look, you've got chocolate milk, and you want white milk. The rule is you can't throw out the chocolate milk. You've got to put in more white milk. So finally, over a long period of time, you're never really going to get rid of this shit. But you can change it. You can accept it. We can adjust. We can change the way you function. Now that's a psychology from a physical perspective. And it would neglect a lot of psychological techniques, I'm sure. But that's a skill that I think PTs really need to develop. Psycho, a physico-psychological approach as well, not just a psychophysical approach. So, I mean, it sounds, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but indirectly... Yes. There's a, almost a in-their-head sort of way yeah, of... Yeah, absolutely. That they're describing it, but you're meeting mm. it from a physical yeah. perspective. Uh, and you're not actually giving them a new paradigm mm. to deal with mm. yet. Yet. Mm. Can I be a dick for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. So when you say that you palpate the multifidus, I know you can't do that. And a lot of that stuff, I know you can't do. And I'm wondering, but you're doing that to empower the patient, to give them belief in their spine that it's strong. I wonder if it's the same thing as when someone comes into me and they say, well, my pelvis is upslipped. Yeah. It's out of place. And if I walk over and do a gelaze or a kinetic test, oh, no, no, it's, it's in its good position. Mm-hmm. I'm lying to them because I know that's a bullshit test. But I'm wondering if that's the same thing mm-hmm. that you did there. Like, I because it's to me, I don't. I, I don't think you can go and palpate. Oh, that I'm not saying. I don't know if you're yeah. just using that as an example. Yeah, yeah, was. Like, did you I'm mean not. to be lying to the patient, or did you just mean? No, yeah. I would palpate them and talk about their musculature there. And you, and I feel you can you can feel the timing in some people. And I, you can see for some people who have a disc problem, and on one side you can feel wasting in their muscles and delayed activity when they try and and, and um, initiate. Now, to me, that that might be useful. Okay. You might find their endurance in that particular movement or endurance and flexion is reduced, and you can work on that. So you're just oh. looking for strength and ability yeah, when yeah, you're... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm not suggesting that you can do just one multifidus and dig, dig, yeah, I wasn't dig, sure. uh, dig under that erector spiny and get yeah. on the multifidus. <laughs> I no, took you you're literally... Assessing, you're assessing physical performance or movement or function and using that to justify... So you're confronting them with their strength. That's my... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Give, okay. Giving them some new information that they can work positively with. Okay. And I must say, that probably neglects a lot of psychological techniques. But we're not psychologists or psych- psychoanalysts or psychiatrists. And so... For me, a professional boundary is I'm not going to treat hypochondriasis. I'm not going to treat depression. I'm going to give someone some resources to, to manage their cognition in relation to their physical problem. But you're giving them some hope. About yeah, self-efficacy, optimism, um, coping resources. Yeah, exactly. It's a cognitive mechanism, of course, or psychosocial mechanism. Brian, you know, I'm going to just jump in here. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't actually care too much about what they're thinking. I want to get them doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And in doing, we know that behaviour precedes changing your thoughts. So if people do things, that shows them, proves to them, actually this is okay. So we start with something that might be, I'm going to bend down and pick up something or I'm going to try a movement that I haven't done in a while. And how well is that working for you? What's happening for you? Mm-hmm. Let's notice and observe and let's mm-hmm. deal with that. 
the explanation and explaining pain is a fabulous thing, but I think it can be overdone in that people want to make sense of their experience, not be told what other people think is going on. They want to understand what's going on for them. So I let them experiment. And I'm an OT, okay? I'm an occupational therapist. I don't do... I'm not a psychologist, but I use lots of psychological techniques and lots of doing, because that's what we're good at. So, um, do you, so then, Bronnie, do you think, then, that what Michael has said and what Greg has said, do you think that matters? In terms of, in terms of pop, pop, Greg, Greg's sort of counter possible counter-argument there to Michael. Do you think it matters that much to the patient, then, in that case, or not? It or? depends. Okay. I'm going to be the psychologist. Kevin Val said it depends, and that was his mm. psychologist's escape card. Well, I've got one, too. It's my escape card. It depends. So some people really value the knowledge that somebody else brings to them, but in the end, it's really validating or invalidating their experience and what's going on for them. So all I'm doing is playing some experiments let's see and that's really what gets it back to where we're not making the person think that it's all in their head mm. is that if it's their story and their metaphor and what works for them and we use that yeah. to get them moving and to get some confidence then we win um, but if you try and tell them what they need to think they won't believe you <laughs> sure. but it is yeah. tricky I'm an outsider to both populations that I primarily work with and so people tell me things that I'm not familiar with and that I find shocking. So, for example, uh, my buddy died because I wasn't able to save him in the heat of combat. Well, I really don't think that that was the sole cause, but people turn it into a sole cause. And then it turns into something where they just can't get off the couch, and they watch TV all the time, and they have a lot of lower back pain, and they come to see me. And so I try... Like I said, unless it's really, really harmful or dangerous, I don't try to counter it because I don't think that's my scope of practice and I'm not a psychologist and I don't know what I'm doing. But if somebody tells me a really, really a belief that I believe is harming them, I ask them to tell me more about it. And I say, oh, I hadn't heard that. So just opening the door to maybe that's not the only way to look at it. I'm thinking of one client. Um, very, very brief, uh, summing it up. Um, she was blamed by her husband for the death of one of their children because of her astrological side. Okay, she was the year of the cat, and the child was the year of the rat, so therefore she must have always hated her and wanted her dead, so when the child died, it was her fault, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, I was not taught in massage school what to do with when somebody comes up with that. That's so, cool. so basically, I say... Tell me more about that. I haven't heard that. It seems to me that there's other ways that you could see it. I, I try not to exceed my scope of practice. I really, really try not to. But sometimes I don't know where the boundary is, so I try to just be a good listener. I try to give them the idea to think that maybe there are other ways to look at it without giving counsel or advice, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think those are all some really great points of view from a lot of different professions. And so hopefully we're going to have time for questions at the end. So um, if you guys just kind of keep your questions on hand and 
I can see some people like Diane, like really, really wanting to ask a question, and I'm sure her question is going to be fabulous. Um, but we'll kind of wait for those until the end, and, and we'll kind of move on to um, to our next question on that note. Paul. Okay, guys. So, um, if we start with um, Michael. Okay. How do you gently guide your patients away from the strictly biomedical explanations that they have heard from other sources when explaining pain? Mm. Uh, I, I'm going to take that as being a noceceptive mm -hmm. presentation. Is that fair enough? Mm -hmm. Accurate. Yeah. Um, I, I probably would say something like, um, where, where's the information come from? Uh, why do you think that? Um, what's the basis for this? And, and then introduce new ideas, like, look, an OCCEP that might be sensitised, the nervous system can become sensitised to different areas and change processing. And one of the things I will explain is that um, the way the nervous system changes processing is that movement can be turned into pain. And that, that's, that, that those mechanisms are quite, are quite well established, certainly at spinal cord level and, up and, and, and brainstem and so forth. So for me, I'll, I'll explain it to them an idea, with an idea of sensitisation and movement and other activities, particularly movement and healthy activities, can reduce that, sens that, sen that sensitisation. And movement is a good thing, as long as it's... However, I, I personally think that we have to be careful with that because it's basically impossible in a patient to, to, to illustrate that they don't have nociception. I mean, in, in, a, in the neurophys, if you put a, a stimulate one nociceptor to eight hertz, it causes, it triggers pain. Now, how in the heck do you find that in a patient? So we have to really be sure. Now, we, we've said, okay, we've changed our explanations about pain on the basis of the brain controlling pain and nociception is not, not so important. But how do we know their amygdala is going wrong? So if we challenge the nociception use of the central system to challenge the nociceptive mechanism, absolutely. But we should challenge the other stuff on the same basis. Now, nociception is a really difficult problem. And it's damn hard to show in a patient that it doesn't exist or it's unimportant. So if we say to the patient, nociception isn't the problem or pathology is not the problem, we'd better be sure. And how do you do that? At the moment, it's pretty freaking impossible. Okay, so we have to then explain it in, t in other terms that have surreptitiously avoid the issue, because we have to be really careful about creating a generation of misled people. Because if we're telling them nociception is unimportant, and later it's found that it is, and slowly the studies are starting to show things like fibromyalgia are showing signs of small fibroneuropathy, things like that. So we have to be really careful about that explanation, but I would start with central sensitisation as, as a sort of an avenue for a physical or biological explanation and how psychosocial matters or movement-related matters can affect that central sensitisation and the ability to move without pain. But really, really carefully. Ronnie? I don't bother. I don't talk about nociception. I talk about what does it mean to you? When you have this pain, however it happens, what goes through your mind? What do you think's going on? Um, what do you notice happening in your body? What do you notice you don't do anymore? What do you notice that you do more of? What do you want to be able to do? Because that's where people are at the point of trying to make sense of this experience. 
And I'm not trying to change the pain at all. I never have, never bothered. It's not what I'm interested in. And we very rarely talk about pain once we've gone through our first assessment. Because I'm far more interested in what brings richness, enjoyment, um, fun, fulfilment in your life. And how can we help you move one step closer to that? Oddly enough, pain often reduces as a result. But it's not my target. Yeah, I understand okay. that. You got to read the question again, so yeah, I can answer I it. I don't want to just I talk. I, I can I can talk for thirty minutes, but I want to. I don't want to be like a politician so, here. So okay, because so this is huge, huge. I got a huge answer, a huge answer for you. So listen. No, your hair's oh, been awesome. awesome. yeah. you, have to do the hair. you have to do the hair. You have to, yeah. you have to get your hair yeah. to swirl a little bit. So once we're done this, let's go outside and we're going to start building that wall. Close to the border. We start with this beer can and then we'll start a revolution. This is the fulcrum. What are we talking about? I mean, you're good, man. <laughs> Next. How do you gently guide your patients yeah. away from strictly biomedical <coughs> explanations they have heard from other sources when explaining pain? Uh, yeah, again, I don't always, right? Because sometimes uh, it depends, you know, to... to that <laughs> yes, is, okay, that you can have my card. Yeah. <laughs> you can have my card. This is the... I get out of saying this. I don't know, because sometimes it's, it's not necessary, right? That's the thing. If, if, if I know that I can help them with some good advice very quickly and I don't think that there's concerns for chronicity, then, then, then I won't. But if it's going on, you know, for six months and a, and a year and they're still concerned that it's because of some uh, tear in the tissue, then, that, that, then, I, then I get into that. But again, very gently and very slowly and it's all through metaphor and it's all led by them. That, that it has to be relevant to, to them. And so there's, I think the, the other hard part is, is that you don't want to disparage the person who gave mm. them the biomedical mm. information to begin with. And, and maybe at times, your, our first reaction is to say, well, that's crazy. Where'd you hear that from? And they say, oh, from my doctor that I've had for 25 years. And then all of a sudden, they don't like you anymore because they really trust that doctor. So I think there's a... Yeah. Well, you make line. the call. Do, do they like the doctor better than they like you? Right? <laughs> and then that's the call. And if they don't, then that doctor is a... Like, you, you go ahead. I have like 17. I don't know which one to choose. It starts with a D, ends with a bag. I don't know. Uh, is, it, like, is, it, is it worth your time trying to engage with that doctor, do you find, or not? Oh, no, no. Doctors don't talk to physiotherapists. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they talk to RTs even less. Yeah, they Tell you that. Uh, Sandy? Okay, are you done? Do you want me to leave? Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Um, I'm, what was the question? No. Uh, doctors do talk to physiotherapists, by the way. Uh, sometimes we can get really good um, relationships. When, when someone has come with some what we consider faulty information, uh, the easiest is you hurt because your sacrum's rotated to the right and you've got a leg length discrepancy and whatever. Um, I don't often go into trying to dismantle that because it wastes time, and, and then you just are the mean person that talks bad about other people. Um, so I don't bother. And 
but I, I do try and give them reasons to have confidence to move again and say, okay, so cool, maybe that was what it was and that fantastic person that you saw corrected that for you because when I do this magic test, you look great to me. Um, hopefully they don't just think I'm horrible at my manual therapy palpitation skills. Um, what? But, um, but, but we, can, we can make it make sense to them without confronting them, I think. Mm-hmm. It just goes back to that don't be the threat that your patient has to protect against. So don't be a dick. And then they <laughs> won't, then they won't have to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's translating from Canadian. <laughs> but then that goes back to you're lying to them. If you do that, you you said you go and check their pelvis and said no, it's really fine. I, you know, I don't not, really. So and I, 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 I can call myself out here because my my the PT student that's here at our clinic um, for ten weeks is is here in the room, so he can he can tell me if I'm lying. But I really don't do those evaluations. Um, Unless we, and there's one person at our clinic right now that is, she was, she told me when she came that my pain is because I have a anterior rotation of this and my sacrum's that and all these people that I trust very much have told me that that's why I hurt. It would be unhelpful to try and tell her that they're all wrong. Um, I try to help her in words that I don't feel are lying. No, but I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But if you do the test, if you go and do the test that looks at pelvic does, motion relative it? to the sacrum, and you say, it's fine today. Looks lovely to me. That's what and I'll say. This looks great I to me. I know. But then that implies that there's a lovely and a non-lovely. Mm-hmm. And that may, there might be a day where there's a non-lovely. There might. So that's why you crack it on the left and crack it on the right. And, then <laughs> and if you start from the top at the atlas, you usually don't have to worry about the sacrum. Chiropractic training. I <laughs> came out like a no. I won't. No, no. <laughs> but it's hard. It really is hard because you don't want to disparage the wonderful people no, that were well-meaning well, that they saw behind you. They're idiots, but anyway. <laughs> I'm, apparently, I'm too polite. Um, but my improv teacher told me I was too polite. I'm working on it. Um, the, the but you don't Sorry. want you don't want to be that person that says, well, everyone you saw before me was, was right. an idiot, and I am magically wonderful. Um, and you should know that. Right? The well, same it, you. It's on the, it's the top it's, of your website. It's yeah. the same <laughs> thing. I'm wonderful. Shush. Um, you don't have to say it. It's right there. It's small print. Well, what about Raven? So, so I'm interested here, because, because Raven is one of the only people here, at least in the United States, that doesn't need to go through the whole medical system to come and see you first because no. she's a massage therapist. So she doesn't need that physician referral. I mean, there's direct access in every state to various degrees. So you may be the first person who's seeing them. So lucky you to give them the, the information right off the bat, but you're also seeing a, a much different population than, than everyone else. So how do you deal with that? Um, I was going to say everybody took my answer already because I really yeah. like what Fair. I like what you said about not being the threat that the the client is dealing with, and like Bronnie, I'm very interested in meaning, but what they bring to it. But my clients tend to have very multifactorial conditions that interact a lot anyway. 
So by the time they get to me, it's usually chronic. So at that point, sorting out what's what, but it seems to me like I couldn't know it. There's no point in talking about it. Instead, let's talk today about how it's affecting you. Let's talk about what meaning you make from it. Let's talk about what you can do to make it better. I have a um, problem. I mean, I feel kind of, I mean, out of place up here because everybody, everybody else here is from a degree program. Like you said, it's like coming through the medical system. And the flip side of that is everybody has training about, okay, how do you screen for situations where the person's not safe mm -hmm. whereas we have like 500 hours and then we get turned loose and like you said you know we can take all comers yeah. and there's no accountability no supervision okay maybe there maybe that's a little bit much but basically it's much more of a wild west situation than it is for occupational therapy or physical therapy or as far as I know chiropractic I'm not sure but I'm I'm feeling my way a lot of the times in something that seems like I've got very incomplete information, very imperfect information. So I let the client tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. And anything that puts it in the context of normality, I've had the honor of working with Lane Gerber, who's a psychologist in Seattle. And he is big on doing things like bringing the community together to prepare meals together and then have people talk about their experiences, talk about their pain while they're making a big meal for their families. That normalizes it. That brings it into perspective. And people get the sense of, oh, okay, I'm not alone in this. This is something that everybody's been through. It's part of life. And there's also really nice parts of life like what we're doing here. So I have to say, I don't have a good answer to that. I try listening. I try letting them guide. I try, if I know something that I can connect it to, to make it feel like, okay, you're not alone because other people have told me this. So it sounds like other people find themselves in that situation. I don't think looking for medical explanations matches either my profession or the populations that I work with very well. I don't, I don't even try to do it. Great. I think all very great answers given the parameters that you all work in. And again, you know, I'm sure there's some questions on that. Yeah, so there's some great questions that came up from that, as uh, Karen referred to in the last, uh, in, in part one, at the end of part one there. I, uh, I certainly uh, got a, quite a few questions that um, I could have carried on for ages chatting to the, to the panel about that. I think, I think they answered both questions really, really nicely, really well. They gave their own sort of individual um, thought on how they would how they would explain, particularly the the is it in my head um, question. Um, it's a really, really difficult area, isn't it, Karen? Yeah, mm. I, yeah, absolutely. I agree, and I think that all the answers were thoughtful and applicable to the settings that everyone worked in. Uh, because we have a lot of people, as you heard in the beginning, representing different areas, uh, different areas of practice. And so I, I just really uh, appreciated all of their answers. And in the end, pain is a complicated, uh, somewhat mysterious experience. And... I think the more that we can educate people about it, like what's happening at the San Diego Pain Summit, I think the more people will feel more confident and comfortable taking that literature and translating into, into clinical practice. 
Yeah, totally, totally. I think there's um, there's quite a few misconceptions out there about uh, about um, uh, th- this concept of it being in your head. The fact that you know, the fact that your brain is in your head. I mean, if your brain was in your foot, would you be saying that pain is in your big toe or in your foot? So I think it's it's important to to highlight that pain is an experience that's produced by the individual. You know, there's lots and lots of talk now about it being an emergent um, emergent experience, and not just from brain or body, um, but it's from the self, from the actual person. So um, uh, it's it's complex. It's really complex. But I hope that some of the answers that that the the speakers gave give people an opportunity to explore either through some of the the messages that the speakers gave or to explore through their own ways on how to to explain that to their patients because it's difficult right it's tough eh yeah it's it's very difficult and i think it's important to individualize your message i know when i first you know you go to explain pain you go to a course and you listen to these the experts speak i saw you know david butler and lorimer mosley and Adrian Lowe, and of course the five people that we have in this podcast are all sort of experts on this, and you go into the clinic and you're all gung-ho, and you kind of explain pain the way David Butler explains pains, or Lorimer Mosley explains pain, and yeah. it's, it's really not the way to go. You have to make it your own, and then tailor it and individualize it for that person. I think if you don't do that, then it just doesn't come across to the patient as being as genuine as an, and obviously as individualized as it could be. And I think that's when people think, so you're saying it's all in my head because you I'm, haven't, you I'm, haven't gotten to that patient. You haven't gotten the buy-in to, from that patient. And I'm, and I'm sure David and Lorimer will put their hands up and go, I've had many a patient that is completely confused by what I say as well. So, sure. you know, I'm sure they look at things in a very different way in that they probably draw from lots and lots of other areas. Um, I, and I think, I think you make a really, really interesting point there, Karen, about the fact that you can't copy and paste. So somebody will teach you something you can't copy and paste, and then you can't expect to be able to deliver exactly what that person did. And the problem with that is then is um, you get into this, um, you get into difficulty, you get stuck with regards to, to explaining things. And then we, we can default or reset back to our grassroots. So because it's too challenging, and because we um, perhaps need to be a bit more open-minded about how we approach a situation, it's a lot more difficult to be able to to deliver that. So we need to be open-minded. I, I wrote a blog post about that about it recently, about some of the misconceptions that David and Lorimer had spoken about. I think it was 15 years of explaining pain. Their their um, their uh, paper they released. And I wrote a blog post reflecting that and not to not to discredit um, because that's not why I intended. So in terms of what David and, and Lorimer had said, it was more to agree with the fact of what they had said, but also to show that perhaps using explain pain is not just the only way to explain pain. There are lots of different ways and you as an individual and the patient as an individual are going to interpret it in different ways. And like you said, individualizing it to say the patient's construct or how they fit into their environment and their life is the way to try and explain it so drawing things from them which is what a lot of the speakers said listening to the to the to the individual in front of you and drawing from that 
and trying to explain it around something that is then understandable to them. So you can't just throw metaphors at people and hope that they explain it. That's the other thing. Metaphors is a big thing now. Can't just use that. You've got to try and individualize it, like you said. Yeah, and I think you know you take the principles and you take the scientific data that has come out over 15 years of studying more in depth about the brain and, and its relationship to pain. And I think you take all of that really, really great, very technical, very complicated um, information and then you know you have to simplify it and that doesn't mean dumb it down it means to simplify around that person that you're speaking to at that time at that moment and that may change from session to session depending on the the state that the that client is in when you're seeing them and I think that one thing that the speakers all did with these couple of questions is I think they really got that point across that Yes, you take all of this great information and then you apply it clinically based on the person that's in front of you. And mm. and I guess we should probably mention that we did kind of cut off midway through because the podcast is like an hour and a half long. And so we decided to split it into two so that people won't be like angry at us for a super duper long podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. That's right. I am. Um... Uh, again, I agree with that. I think um, I think you make some really, really interesting points, and I think it leads quite nicely onto question two as well, in the sense of um, you know uh, e explaining um, um, the uh, sort of that interpretation of how um, you can guide patients away from biomedical sources heard from from other clinicians. It's um, it's it's difficult again, um, uh, uh, trying to trying to re sort of explain something in a way that um, a patient will understand um, that sort of almost doesn't cause further confusion uh, because if they've got information from lots and lots of different sources um, and it's biomedical information it can confuse an individual and, and there can be lots of misunderstandings and can cause more and more and more confusion so I think they they explained um, how they guided patients really really well um, in, in terms of in terms of um, the biomedical uh, aspects that they were getting from for, from other clinicians. So yeah, and I think the speakers did a very good job at how to do that diplomatically and how to gently sort of guide someone away. Uh, from those biomedical explanations because you do want to do that with a little finesse you don't want to say boy that person that told you that's a real jerk or real dum-dum like that's mm -hmm. not the way to do it because that's not how you're going to instill trust uh, in your patient so I thought that they all had uh, really fabulous answers and hopefully everyone listening got some good uh, tips to use with your patients when you are in count when you're in that situation um, mm. I, so it's I thought they were great uh, I, I just just to add on that it's very very easy to to get flustered if you are an individual let's say that is a little bit more experienced in in knowledge and understanding of, of say pain science and then possibly the other clinician isn't and a patient is confused it's very easy for you to be to get flustered mm -hmm. and to to even to even call out, like you say, call out and say, well, the, that person shouldn't have said that, they're a jerk, whatever. Mm -hmm. It would be more helpful to maybe approach that clinician sure. and maybe see see if you can educate each other 
on uh, on on how they might deliver sort of something like pain science or whatever aspect of uh, uh, of um, education they need to be delivered to the patient. So yeah, yep, yeah. and and coinc- point. Yep, and coincidentally, that is going to be a big part of next year's San Diego Pain Summit in 2017. Is a big part of that is communi- we're, a big part of the summit will be how to communicate with other healthcare practitioners who aren't as familiar mm. with pain principles. So great tie-in. For next year um, mm. and you know before we kind of jump off here just want to remind everyone that part two of uh, the Sandy live from the San Diego pain summit will be out next week and we've got a couple more questions for our panel so we're going to talk about how to manage expectations and how to get patients to buy into the program and that includes your home exercise program and if anyone wants to I think you know we mentioned in the podcast, uh, we talk about all of these great speakers who are going to be speaking the next day. And you can actually go on to the San Diego Pain Summit.com and you can get all of those videos. Am I right? Yep. No, no, absolutely. You can you can get on there. Actually, um, uh, you can you can uh, get the videos. They're available now. Is that right? Um, yep. Is there still a discounted price? I don't know there's still a discounted price at this point but I know that you can go on and you can get the videos for uh, the whole two days and Paul and I were obviously both there and they were great Um, and and if you're a student listening to this and you're interested in going to the San Diego Pain Summit next year there is a huge discount going on massive massive discount get over to San Diego Pain Summit.com and you'll be able to see some really great speakers the keynote speaker next year is Peter O'Sullivan so mm. get totally worth getting involved on that. Absolutely. He's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to say as well, one thing I really loved about the San Diego Pain Summit is one of the conferences. It's one of the single conferences I've been to with so many different clinicians there. I was I was I was blown away by how many massage therapists there were there. And it, it, it kind of it kind of uh, it made the penny drop with me a little bit that, you know, uh, all clinicians. Is that a New Zealand saying or a Scottish saying? What made the penny drop? Oh, the penny drop. What else? I, I can't. Yeah, maybe a Scottish saying. Okay. I don't know. Okay. It's just sort of there we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, the uh, the fact that there were so many different clinicians there, and sort of. Massage therapists, my understanding and my knowledge of it is not being sort of in the mainstream um, sort of healthcare, but but actually they have such an influential role because they spend, you know, pain patients, people suffering with long-term pain will go and visit any number of, of practitioners, any number of clinicians. And and massage therapists can spend up to an hour to 90 minutes, whatever mm-hmm. it is, with their patients. So it's so important that, that, that pain science is coming through to, to that group of, of clinicians as well. And it should be coming through to all, all clinicians. Right. And I love that about the San Diego Pain Summit. Yeah, and I feel like the, the panel actually mentioned that. I don't know if it's in this one or if it'll be in next week's one, but that the importance of the healthcare team, that it goes far beyond the PT, the OT, mm. the MD. It's all about the team. And that's what the San Diego Pain Summit does so well, is it brings together the team. And so you have like-minded people sharing some really great experiences from, uh, from their work. And that's what it's all about. 
and hopefully mm-hmm. um, uh, everyone will tune in next week for part two. Yep. Hopefully we'll uh, well we'll catch up with you uh, next week as well, won't we? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you got a lot out of this, and we will catch you next week. <laughs>